Amen. Hey, guess what? We are here tonight to discuss the intro to apologetics. You guys are on the ball, and we've been seeing already in apologetics, obviously that means to give a defense. So we live in a skeptical world. Can anybody confer with that? Yes, all two of you. Thank you. And uh, yes, we do. Okay, so they have uh, skeptical questions. But as a Christian, we don't have to run from that. We don't have to worry. We don't have to freak out. We don't have to hide. And you certainly don't just got to say, I don't know. I guess you got to accept it by faith. That drives the non-Christian up the wall. It used to drive me up the wall. The answers are there. You just need to do what the Scripture actually says to do to give a defense, to get equipped to give a defense for the hope that lies within us. Now, we've been dealing with the skeptical question, first of all, about the existence of God. Everything has a beginning. And uh, so that implies a beginner, i.e. God. Chapter 2, everything has a design. Just like a watch didn't happen by chance, it was made by a watchmaker. All of life is designed, made by a, uh, a world maker, uh, God. Okay, then we talk, well, what about evolution? Evolution says there is no God, and we have proof that it's all natural and took millions and billions of years. And we not only looked at that, we took a 42-week detour on that in the Witness of Creation study. Then we saw another argument for the existence of God, the argument of morals. Why do people inherently know that there is a, a, a wrong to murder, it's wrong to steal. They never even came across the copy of the Bible. How do they know that? Because we were created universally in the image of God, morally and spiritually, that came from God. That's another argument. And then the last several weeks we've been dealing with, well, what about the Bible, right? Because that's ultimately where it funnels down to is the source of truth, right? The world has their source of truth. It's typically their own opinion, their feelings, whatever they want it to be right? We have a source of truth called the Bible, okay? And yet they will attack it and say, there's no way that this book really did come from God. There's no proof of that. And that's what we've been saying. Oh, yes, it is. In fact, what we've been seeing is the Bible is the only book on the planet that after vicious, after vicious, after vicious attack still comes to the top and proves itself trustworthy. Nobody has ever attacked any other piece of literature in all of human history like they have with the scripture, Okay, but if anything, as we saw before, the scripture keeps rising to the top. Why? Because it really did come from God, and God doesn't lie, and he proves it trustworthy over and over again. Now, we saw to back up there in chapter 5, page 39, which says, well, okay, let's put it to the test. That's what we say, you know, but some people say, well, of course you're going to say that. You're a Christian. That's circular reasoning, right? You're going to say that the Bible came from God. Well, let's examine it logically and take a look at that. We saw, well, if the Bible really did come from God, we would expect that he said he wrote it. Well, he did over and over and over and over again, Old and New Testament. We would expect it to be a popular book. It is. A timeless book. It is. A book that's uh, understood by everyone. A child or an adult can understand the gospel and be saved. It'd be unified and harmonious. It is. Why? Because God doesn't lie. It would have the power to change lives. It does. It's powerful. You can't destroy the thing. Many people have tried, but nobody has succeeded and they won't because this book came from God, and you're not going to destroy his word. And of course, that it will be true, again, because God is holy. He is not a liar like, unfortunately, man is. And we saw that the Bible is accurate, not only historically, we saw that with all the uh, evidence of archaeology, but also it's uh, accurate scientifically, as opposed to other uh, contemporaries, uh, uh, cultures of that time, when the Bible was written like, like the Old Testament, the time of Moses. Remember, the, remember the, the, the science of Egypt we went through? By way of recap, to prevent balding, mix together the fat of a horse, a hippopotamus, a crocodile, a cat, a snake, and an ibex, and then mix in the tooth of a donkey and crushed honey. That was their science of the day. As we saw before, the reason why it worked apparently was because you didn't have to worry about uh, to prevent balding because you had no hair at that point. When you put that stuff on your head, it all just fell out and it was not a need. And then it says to stop bleeding, you need to rub donkey dung on a cut. As we saw, most of us would bleed out before we'd ever do that. <laughs> that was their science of the day. People want to say the Bible it contradicts science. No, it doesn't. In fact, when we took a look at the facts, not only is it not superstitious like other cultures of the day, and if this was a book whooped up by man, you'd expect to see that in the Bible, but you don't. 
What you see is the Bible not only does not contradict known true signs, but the Bible contains a lot of signs that uh, God relayed in the Scripture that we're just now rediscovering, okay, if you just stick to the Bible. Then we saw it has supernatural power uh, if this book really came from God. Only God, how does he demonstrate? What's his handiwork on this book? How do we know this really came from God? Well, you would expect that if God is above and beyond all time, he knows the beginning from the end, that inside here he would easily be able to demonstrate that he can predict the future since he can see the future, since he's already in the future, right? Well, that's the importance of Bible prophecies we saw there uh, during that session there, and the Bible shows us that. Then we saw last time, well, wait a second, how do we know that it's reliable? We don't have the original manuscripts, but how do we know that what we have is accurate to the original? And that's what we saw last time with the New Testament because of the way that it is uh, copied there in the New Testament. These guys weren't just trying to relay a story. We'll see that again tonight with the Old Testament. Uh, but these guys practice memorization, okay? And again, the, the hypocrisy that's used there, we have on record seven copies of the writing of Plato, which nobody questions by and large, right? Nobody questions, did this really come from Plato? How do we know this came from Plato? You proved to me this, this came from Plato. I think it's full of contradictions and errors. There's no way Plato really said that. Nobody says that, right? We have seven copies on the whole planet, and it's 1,300 years removed from the original. Yet we have almost 25,000 copies of the New Testament, and we have some that we just now recently, within the last few years, discovered in the exact same year as written. And you're going to scoff at that? That's being hypocritical, okay? If you're truly wanting to seek the truth, okay? Now we come to page 56, and now let's consider the trustworthiness of the Old Testament, okay? The Old Testament. When it comes to the Old Testament, it is careful. It is the careful copying techniques, is your blank there? Copying techniques. Okay, of the ancient scribes that can give us confidence that the original message has been accurately and faithfully preserved. Okay, and as you can see, apparently Sasquatch says, hasn't the Bible changed over time? Who does these artwork read? I don't know. Uh, but anyway, hasn't the Bible changed over time, right? Isn't that what the skeptic says? How can you trust that it's trustworthy, right? Especially the Old Testament, because that's way older than the new, right? Maybe you got the new right, but how about that old one? Well, let's take a look at that. Many of us have enjoyed playing the telephone game, okay? How many of you guys remember that? How many guys remember that sound that you used to have to stick your finger, not on an app on a touchscreen, but on this little thing, and it had this little rotary thing. It went. Remember that noise, right? How many guys? Not even that long ago, you remember that noise with the modem. Remember that? Wasn't that so cool? Yeah, it's logging on. Twenty-eight K. Yeah. Whatever. Okay, but remember back in the day when you played the telephone game? Okay, you whisper a sentence or story into someone's ear. And they, in turn, whisper the message into someone else's ear. And on and on it goes until the last person has to report the message he or she has received. Most of the time, what? The story's different than the original. Now, again, we've already talked about this before, but since they're mentioned again, let's take a little look at it shortly, briefly. Okay, but isn't that the mindset of the skeptic, right? They assume that, well, that's, that's the most idiotic statement I could ever hear from you, Christian. I cannot accept that as logical. Because we, there's no way that over all these years, you know, a couple thousand years that the Bible was written, you know, several thousand years when you look at the Old Testament too, there's no way after telling the story around a circle that ho- it's accurate, and there's no way. Well, really when people say that, they're showing their ignorance. I don't mean that in a detrimental sense. They're showing their ignorance of how the Bible was transmitted to us. It wasn't copied around from a story. Just tell, I hope you remember this after, you know, three millennia. That's not all that was going on. As we saw before, it says here, what evidence do we have that the same sort of thing did not happen to the message of the Bible over the years? Well, specifically the Old Testament, this is what we saw when you chart out the actual ages mentioned in the Bible. 
And I'll show you that, okay? There wasn't, you know, uh, over, you know, centuries and centuries, and hopefully that they remembered what somebody said to somebody who said it. No, okay? Uh, when you add up the dates in the Scripture, Adam knew Methuselah for 243 years. Remember that? And the importance with that is Methuselah, uh, the year he died, the flood came. So Adam, who was the first guy, okay, who married the first woman who ate him out of house and home, and it was called paradise because there was no mother-in-law. Or whatever. My wife's over there. I don't think she's listening. Oh, hey, 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 listen. Brandy's got a great mother-in-law. Tom, knock it off. But anyway, no, I do too. But anyways, <laughs> Methuselah, okay? So Adam, he's the first guy. He translates that to Methuselah. Well, Methuselah knew Noah for 600 years, if you add up the dates. You, you, could, you could learn a lot in 600 years. Anybody concur, right? Okay, but Noah had six living ancestors that could have personally known Adam, not just Methuselah. So he could have got it from a bunch of other guys who personally knew the first guy. Now, all of 10 of Abraham's post-flood ancestors, even Noah, if you add up the dates, were still alive for his early life. Well, that's to to Abraham, okay? In fact, uh, Shem uh, was still alive, not just for Abraham, one of the three sons, okay, uh, for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So you do the math, the first 2,157 years of mankind was covered by the lives of three men. So much for going around in a circle. I hope you remember this. Okay, and this is first-hand account. Okay, and that's what he says there. What confidence do we have that the original content of the Bible has not been edited, altered, or changed, right? Well, first of all, it's not the old story telephone game that people want to suppose. That's being uh, ignorant of how it was tra- uh, transposed to us, transmitted to us. But that's, again, the, ca- the, the point he mentions here, the importance of copying techniques, Okay. Not only do you have it concise with just a few men with firsthand account, but when they did get around around to recording it, it wasn't something willy-nilly. And that's what he talks about here. He says this, as an important point to remember, it is that when the Bible is translated into English or another language, because we all know there's a conspiracy going on. No, it's just a natural process. People, and again, the skeptics would say, well, you Christians have all these different translations, and how do you even know which one is the Bible? Now, we've talked about there are perverted translations out there today. We've talked about that with the feminist versions, the New Age versions. The evolu- you know, there's even a gay version that people are trying to promote out and things of that nature. And so I agree with that. Okay, but at the same time, because language changes over time, it's only natural to translate it into the people of that day, right? We don't speak the same English today we did 500 years ago, do we? Right? Okay, but even more so, hey, how many guys here speak Chinese? So when you want to share God's word, as we're supposed to to the whole world, what do you got to do with the Bible? Force them to learn English? No, you translate it. What about the people in Africa? What about the people who speak only Swahili? What about the people in Russia? What, is, is there a conspiracy? No, it's just part of sharing the, God's word, right? That's why you have, by and large, so many different translations. There's no conspiracy going on. It's just God wants not just us here in America who speak English to know the scripture, Right? Okay, but, so people take a look at all these different translations and say, well, you can't, tr-. no. Okay, it's just a common thing as language change. And ever since the Tower of Babel, it all got split. In case those you're wondering, is the universal sign for Tower of Babel being split, read. Anyway, let's move on. Okay, translated to English into another language. Scholars do not uh, use more recent versions or translations as a source. They go back to the source, right? So they're not copying today if they're going to do in Chinese something that was uh, English translation that was whooped up in the last 20 years. They go back to the manuscript, the best, most reliable manuscripts. And that's what he says here. Rather, they use the oldest and most reliable. That's your blank there. 
the oldest and most reliable manuscripts of the Old and New Testament. Now, also consider, again, the copying techniques. So they go back to the oldest, most reliable, and when they do it, it's nothing willy-nilly. Again, careful copying techniques, the top of page 57. The scribes who copied the Bible were trained professionals. That's your blank there. Trained professionals, right? Now, this is important, okay? They had strict standards and rules. Trained professionals. But it's not just two guys got bored on a Saturday afternoon, right? The final four is over. They have nothing else to do, right? They're waiting for the finals for the NBA or hopefully some preseason, at least something with football going on, and they have nothing to do. And so they're saying, you know, I'm sick and tired of staring at my wife's frog collection. Bob, what, what are you doing today? I'm doing nothing. I just, I thought about, you know, going outside and doing something with the gravel. I, I don't know. What are you doing? Hey, I know. I got this idea. How about we copy the Bible? Yeah. That's not what we have. We don't have just guys randomly say, hey, let's make a copy of the Bible. And we hope they do it right. Train professionals. Train, you, like you hire trained professionals, okay? Number one. So it's not just some willy-nilly guys just getting a, a random event going on. So this is what he said. And listen to their trained professional uh, techniques here. Okay, for example, the rules for the Talmudists, this is A.D. 100 to 500 uh, A.D., Included, the copyist must sit in full Jewish dress and be recently bathed. No stinketh. He should not begin to write the name of God with a pen newly dipped, dropped in ink. Okay. If a king addresses the scribe while writing the divine name, the scribe should ignore him, which I believe in that culture was punishable by death. But nobody's going to interrupt what you're doing. Nobody. God comes first. They took this very seriously. If there was one mistake on a scroll, it was destroyed. If it was intended to be a master, no word or letter must be written from memory without the scribe looking at the codex before him. Okay, Only a master could be used. No duplicates of duplicates allowed. Listen to this. Between every consonant, the width of a hair or thread must intervene. Between every section, the breadth of a nine consonants must intervene. Between every book, three lines must intervene. And the fifth book of Moses must terminate exactly with a line, but the rest need not do so. Can I tell you something? And you're going to see this down here below, and as they continued on this vein of copying techniques, uh, that's like a mathematical formula. They had this down to a science, right? That if it didn't add up here and this, this, and this is the equation, it's wrong. Right? And this was not, there was no, nothing casual about this at all. These guys were very, very accurate. Now, let's go fast forward even more. The Masoretes, who followed AD 500 to 900. They got about roughly a thousand years worth of copying going on here. Likewise, exercised great care in copying. As Frederick uh, Kenyon noted, our Bible in the ancient manuscripts, quote, they numbered the verses, words, and letters of every book. It was a mathematical equation. They calculated the middle verse, the middle word, and the middle letter of each. They enumerated verses which contain all the letters of the alphabet or a certain number of them, and so on. The, these trivialities, as we may rightly consider them, uh, had uh, the effect of securing minute attention to the precise transmission of the text. And they are but an excessive manifestation of a respect for the sacred scriptures. Is your blank there? Respect for the sacred scriptures, which in itself deserves nothing but praise. The Masoretes were indeed anxious that not one jot or tittle, just like Jesus said, not one smallest letter nor one tiny part of a letter of the law should pass away or be lost. These guys aren't bored on a Saturday afternoon. They were trained professionals. Okay, continue on. They could only use clean animals uh, skins to write on. They uh, could have no less than 48 and no more than 60 lines on a page. The ink must be a black of a special recipe. They must verbalize aloud each word while they were writing it. 
Why do you do that? Make sure you get it right, right? Helps you remember it, right? How many guys, you, your wife asked you to go to the store, and you got a list, right? right? But as you're walking out the door, even though you got the list, what's she doing? She'd be verbalizing what's on the list right, to help you remember even more, right? It's just memory, right? It's actually a teaching technique, right? The more gates, if you use the eye gate with the ear gate, and if you can speak, right, it actually increases the retention rate. Okay, but that's what they, these guys did right here. They must wipe away the pen, okay, and wash entire bodies before writing the word of God, okay? If three pages require correction, the entire document must be replaced. The letter, words, and paragraphs must be counted, again, a mathematical formula. The document becomes invalid if two letters even touch each other, okay? And all documents could only be stored in sacred places, and all worn, uh, old and worn documents were buried with ceremonial, uh, ceremonial palm. Okay, and some of the reports were the documents, they even burned them to ashes so that nobody could even find them in whatever. And that's just the old and worn ones, right? Because they don't want you copying from something like, is that a A or, you know, if it started to get faded? This is how serious they are. Now, with these strict techniques, how many guys would think that if you were bored, you know, watching the frog collection, you probably still wouldn't do this, right? Because this is a lot of work, Right? There's nothing willy-nilly about this. And again, as we saw before, this is the importance of the Old uh, Testament, the Dead Sea Scrolls, okay, before we move on. Okay, the Dead Sea Scrolls, we talked about this before. Uh, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, you know, again, we've, we've shared this many times, but again, since we're in it again, okay, uh, the earliest copy that we had of the Old Testament prior to the Dead Sea Scrolls was about 900 A.D., not B.C., 900 A.D., right? When the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, it was, I think, about 125 B.C., okay, is where they found them. And so that's about a thousand years removed from the copies we've been using for our Bible. Okay? So when that came out, the Dead Sea Scrolls, the skeptics, man, they were going to town. <laughs> we got you Christians now. We know there's going to be huge mistakes in here because there's no stinking way that you guys copied this for over a thousand years and got it right. We got you now. What'd they find? Just like we saw last time with the New Testament, extremely minor things like punctuation. Ooh. You forgot the period, right? I can't trust this, right? Or minor spelling differences, right, is, is what they discovered with the Dead Sea Scrolls. To give you a couple examples, like we have today, we, we would spell theater like this, right? Going to the theater. Well, some people today, believe it or not, uh, spell it like this, theater, theater. You know, it's not French, I don't think, right? Oh, no, oh, no, I can't decipher that message. Ugh. no. That's not it. We even have today, some people it, it, it would say we would spell Savior, S-A-V-I-O-R, right? If you get an email from somebody from Canada, okay, you got S-O-A-V-I-O-R, U-R, right? right? And then some people today, like, we'll just, you know, the word evil, right? That, that's a given. And then some people rightly just, you know, they, they just say chicken, right? So it's the same thing, right? It's just a minor spelling. But okay, but obviously, first, the first two obviously are right. But that's what we're talking about, the variances over a thousand years. Oh, no, they spelled theater, theater, A. Well, you know exactly what we're talking about. There's no big deal. There's no doctrinal difference. What are you talking about? Okay, that's what we find. Now, what's really interesting is just like with the New Testament we saw last week, um, and the, the scrolls that they found were not too far from the Dead Sea Scrolls with the New Testament documents that we found. Some of the books in the New Testament we've now got, according to the dates that they believe that they were written, the exact same year. Remember that from last week? Well, listen to what they found uh, when it comes to the Dead Sea Scrolls. They got them in the same thing. One guy says this. He says, when uh, the way they... Uh, when they compare 
the Dead Sea Scrolls, from what they found from a thousand years earlier, he said, when you look at the youngest Old Testament book, which I think is Nehemiah, okay, uh, scholars will differ conservatively, but they would believe somewhere around 325 uh, before Christ. Uh, the oldest Dead Sea Scroll was written 300 years before Christ, right? So you got a 25-year difference from the actual writing. That's within the same generation. That's pretty close, right? But he says other people would say, and uh, how much stock you want to put into Wikipedia, but they actually would date the book at 325. So if you take that date, that puts it at, just like with the New Testament, certain books, the exact same year. Now, what's amazing about that is you'll sit here and scoff at the Old Testament, the New Testament, and we got portions of these actual writings within the actual same year, both of them, old and new, right? Lots of them within just a couple years, a whole bunch of them just in the same generation, right? But yet you will not even bat an eye. You won't bring up one skeptical argument. You won't even question an iota the writings of Plato, 1,300 years removed, and we've got eight copies on the whole planet. Don't think so. Somebody's being a hypocrite. But speaking of which, then we move on to the next page at the top there with Pat Benatar. Uh, it says, what about the contradictions uh, in the Bible there? Page 58. Page 58 there. It says, uh, Dr. Uh, Gleason Archer, a Harvard graduate who uh, taught graduate-level seminary in the field of biblical criticism and learned over 30 languages, most of them the language of the Old Testament times in the Middle Eastern world, in his book entitled Encyclopedia of Bible Difficulties. Right? Here's what he says. As I have dealt with, is your blank there? As I have dealt with, okay, one apparent discrepancy after another and have studied, is your next blank there, have studied the alleged contradictions between the biblical record and the evidence of linguistics, archaeology, or science. My confidence in the trustworthiness, is your blank there, trustworthiness of Scripture has been repeatedly verified and strengthened. Verified and strengthened, okay, by the discovery that almost every problem in Scripture that has ever been discovered by man from ancient times until now, if you're honest, have been dealt with in a completely satisfactory manner by the biblical text itself or else by objective archaeological information. Now, we saw that before when we dealt with the historical accuracy of the Bible. Time and time again, the skeptics come, hey, we can't find the Hittites. We don't see any evidence of doors in Sodom. This can't be true. They didn't use camels. They didn't have writing back then in Moses' day. How could he have written? Guess what? You keep digging in the dirt, what do we find? Yeah, Bible's got it right. Not one archaeological find ever contradicts the scriptural account. As we saw before, it's so accurate that archaeologists today, you want to know where something's at? They go to the Bible first. Ah, there it is, right? Okay, but that's what he's saying. Like people might throw up initial uh, objections because they can't find something historically, but you keep digging, you find it, right? Or if people say that there's a contradiction here, when you do your homework, when you study it, when you deal with it honestly, it's not true. In fact, Dr. Norman Geisler, he goes even deeper than that. <clears throat> Great resource, by the way. <clears throat> he said he's made his hobby of collecting alleged conflicts or, quote, mistakes in the Bible. In fact, he's written a book called When Critics Acts, in which he devoted more than 570 pages of alleged contradictions in the Bible. And he said this, I have a list of about 800 of them. And you can go to the internet today, you could even do a search for so-called contradictions in the Bible or errors in the Bible, and you'll come up with all kinds of things, right? But when you do the homework, as that's the, isn't that what you're supposed to do if you're trying to be an honest seeker of the truth? You read something in context, you don't take it out of context, and what I've experienced 95% of the time, that's what's going on. You're wrenching one verse completely out of context, and you're trying to make the Bible say something it's not. 
read the context. Or it's an archaeological attack when they don't even realize, I'm sorry, 50 years ago they discovered that was real. You need to do your research, right? But what they do is they do what I used to do, and they parrot. They parrot the media. They parrot like, well, it's on the Internet, so it's got to be true. You know, this is atheistbob.com. He must have a doctorate, and he knows everything. And he was really honest when he was making these claims about the Bible, and he investigated it thoroughly. And No, that's not what's going on, okay? And this is what he says, 800 of them, okay, that I've studied. I haven't found one single error, one single error in the Bible. But I found a lot of errors by the critics, okay? When it has been proven to be accurate over and over again in hundreds of details, the burden of proof is on the critic, not the Bible. And that's what we talked about before when we originally got into this section. How do we know the Bible came from God? Okay, is flip the script, flip it around, right? You're the one that's making a claim about the Bible. You're the one that actually sit there, because I used to do the same thing, and nobody ever challenged me, right? I used to say, the Bible is a book whooped up by man, full of contradictions and errors. How many of you guys ever heard that from somebody? One of the most common skeptical objections, right? But nobody ever once said this to me. Really? Um, have you ever read the Bible? That would have stopped me dead in my track. Maybe. I don't know. It's pretty arrogant and prideful back then. I probably would have tried to skirt out from that. Uh, but really, if you're going to make that kind of a bold, authoritative claim on the Scripture, you'd think you'd lead it, read it at least once. And then if you came across a supposed alleged contradiction, I'm sure you did your homework and investigated all the sources to come to an absolute an account of that. No. Most people who make claims about the Scripture, we've talked before, I used to be one of them, uh, typically, again, parrot the media, what people want you to think about the Bible. And they've never even once either read the Bible or very little of it, and somehow that makes them an expert. It's called being intellectually dishonest. Okay? And so you need to flip it around. When somebody says there's full of contradictions, it's like, okay, so how long have you been studying the Scripture to come to that conclusion? Right? Come back when you have and we'll deal with it. All right, let's move on. Okay, top of the page, 59. Is the Bible, here's another one, is the Bible the only book from God? Ooh, in our one-worldly push today, one-world religion, isn't this a hot button? How, Tom, you are an intolerant bigot. How dare you think that your way is the only way? I love people, man, when they come up to me and they accuse that, excuse me, excuse me, sorry. Flip over to John 14, 6, and there's something about having them read it with their own eyes. Can you tell me what John 14, 6 here says? Oh, by the way, this is from Jesus. Notice the red letters. Can you tell me what that says? Oh, that's right. It says, Jesus speaking, I am the way, the truth, the life. Okay, not a way, a truth, a life. The truth, the way, the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. Oh, I didn't say that Jesus did. And I don't recommend you calling him an intolerant bigot. He's the only way out of this mess. I didn't say it. So you can sit here and take it out on me, but really, mm. oh, by the way, Jesus doesn't lie and he doesn't lose. Right? But this is our world today. It's called pluralism, syncretism. They're trying to mesh them all together because they're trying to get all the religions to come together as one, which is a major mega Bible prophecy issue. And the Pope right now is big spearing that up right now as we speak, okay? And he's coming over here soon. wonder what's going to happen. But uh, let's move on. <clears throat> Why can't the holy books from other religions also be from God? Isn't it arrogant and narrow-minded to claim that only one religion has the truth? All right. How many of you guys heard that one? You need to have an open mind. Uh, like one guy says, man, your mind's been open so long, your brain's done rolled out. Okay, with all due respect to it. It has nothing to do with being narrow-minded or arrogant. Dare I say, God says, come, let us reason together. Don't check your brain at the door when you become a Christian. Use your brain. 
And when you take a look at that statement, put it to your brain, look at it logic, excuse me, arrogant, me sticking with the scripture as we've seen in this chapter, okay, the last couple chapters is tried and true. It stands up. There's no contradictions, not one. It stands up to historical evidence, scientific evidence. The transmission standards are absolutely amazing. Unlike any other book in history, it it stands up to every uh, critic attack over and God demonstrates it had to come from him by predicting things in minute detail over the future. And then you want to say that I should trust the writings of the Egyptians or the Egyptian Book of the Dead or whatever. When those guys uh, said that if I wanted to, uh, you know, get rid of problems, I put animal dung and worms and things. And, and, if they, and if they get that wrong, I'm supposed to trust them on eternal matters? The Bible doesn't get anything wrong. I'm kind of swaying over that direction. You want to take a look, you say, oh, all well, books, you know, claim to have the, the right truth. Really, as we saw before with Mormonism. Excuse me, when you do the research, uh, the prophets who God used to inspire writing the Old Testament, New Testament, they weren't involved in witchcraft like Joseph Smith was, right? Et cetera, et cetera. Okay, not only that, but when you examine the writings themselves, the Bible holds up 100% accurate when it comes to the archaeological evidence that it, it says. When it talks about cities and weaponry and, and monetary systems and kings and provinces and all, Gets it right 100% of the time. How much archaeological evidence is, is there anything of the two supposed Lamanites and the Nephites of the Mormons that are mentioned throughout their so-called scripture? Zero. And I'm going to stake my eternal destiny on somebody who can't even get their archaeology right, and I mean zero. They even got it wrong on the DNA. In fact, they know right now the DNA proves, DNA testing, that the Lamanites uh, could never have been the descendants of the American Indians, which is what they know. We know that DNA. They know it. So, okay, but I'm still going to risk it that they're right. (laughs) No, you don't risk eternity. But the Bible gets it right. So it's not that you're being arrogant or narrow-minded. I'm sticking to the one that's tried, tested, and true because one thing you don't want to get wrong is where you're going to spend eternity. What does that got to do with being arrogant? Nothing. You go with the one that proves itself, right? But that's the the mantra. That's, That's the... The, you repeat a lie loud enough, long enough, and often enough to be, all truths teach the same thing, all paths. No, they don't. And then if you disagree with that, oh, you're being arrogant, never mind. No, it's not. Okay, let's continue on. Christianity does not claim there is no truth in other religious books. Let me give an example. And this is what New Age does, to suck you in, right? Because uh, certain texts and certain religions basically has kind of a, uh, re-rendering, if you will, of the classic golden rule that is contained within Scripture. Do unto others as you have them do unto you, right? And so they'll take something like that, which is kind of like a, a universal thing, right? Okay, okay. granted, maybe it says it in there, but that doesn't mean, okay, they got everything else right. No, not at all, okay? Did you know that rat poisoning is about 99% good stuff? It really is. It's about 99% good food. Now, I don't know who would go around eating green sprinkles, Right, maybe for cupcakes or something, but uh, uh, but anyway, so but it has to be good because you got to get the rats to eat it, right? Got to be something good. It was all hundred percent poison. It's, you know, they go the other way. It's like a piece of chicken. Get out of here. Two in one study, so two plugs. Okay, uh, but ninety nine percent good food, but it's just it's the one percent that kills you. So you got one little percent. Okay, you might have something golden rule, but the 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 other stuff is rotten. It's because you're being narrow-minded and bigoted. No, because we put it to the test, and it doesn't hold up, unlike the Bible, right? So even though there might be like a blend over, that doesn't mean a carte blanche 
thing that's used, uh, uh, that, okay, everything that's, everything that's written out of that text is, is accurate. Did you know that Paul, the Apostle Paul, actually quotes, uh, I think a couple different times, secular philosophers, okay? I think one of them was called Meander, okay? He was wandering everywhere he went, no. Uh, but it's Meander, okay? And, uh, but uh, I think it's from the, the phrase that Scripture includes, uh, bad company corrupts good character. That was actually like a secular phrase today, okay? If I have my info right, okay? But is, so does that mean that we have to trust everything that's of that nature? No, okay? Uh, for instance, like today, we would say, well, you know, uh, Will Rogers, he made, you guys remember him? Okay, he always make these uh, uh, quips and stuff like that, famous saying, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. But if we were to say something like that, we'd go, oh, yeah, that's a true statement. Okay, does that mean that everything he said was accurate? No. You know, if, if, I, if, we, if I were to write something, you know, even like a lesson or something, uh, biblically, whatever, and I use the phrase, man, I was hungry, uh, so hungry I could eat a horse, Right? Uh, does that mean that you know you got to actually do that or something? Right? It's just the common language of the day, and that's what God used. He used the men of the personalities. He wasn't say, okay, that means anything, everything out of where that phrase came from is true. It's not at all. But people take a look at that and these things in the uh, scripture and the other writings. They say, well, see, this is proof. They're all from the same source. No, they're not. Okay, and that's another way that they suck people in. Okay, it only claims the Bible is true and whatever is contradictory to the Bible is false. Okay, well, that's an arrogant... No, it's not, because who keeps standing and come to the top 100% of the time? The Bible. These guys get it wrong all the time, right? So I'll stick with the one that doesn't get it wrong, right? Okay, he says this. Imagine the following scenario. Is this really arrogant and narrow-minded, right? Three people ask the question, what is the capital of the United States? One person says New York. Another person answers Washington, D.C., and the other answers uh, Toledo. It wouldn't matter how sincere they were, about their answers, only what? What? Did I just hear you guys say one? Only one? You guys are you're narrow-minded. You are intolerant bigots about America. You're not really patriotic because you're all going to work together and become one. No. How ridiculous would it be? You, you, it can't be all three. It's one. But see, this is what the world does. Right? They say all the religions, all, no, they don't teach the same thing. There's only one way out of here, it's through Jesus Christ. Right? You can't say it's this and that and what, I'm somehow that's being honorable. No, it's being foolish. Right? Just like, excuse me, it's not New York and it's not Toledo. How many of you guys know that? Okay, good. Praise God. Okay. <laughs> okay. But that's not being arrogant or narrow minded. Okay. It goes on. <clears throat> it wouldn't matter how sincere. Oh, by the way, did you know that people, I don't care, sincerity is not the acid test for truth. It just means you could be sincerely wrong, right? That's all it means, okay? They can't all be true and contradict each other at the same time. Why? Because that's illogical. In fact, if you were to actually say, nope, I believe all, I have an open mind. I believe that all three of those are the capital. Who has checked in who's burning at the door? With all due respect. But, it, but when we say, no, it's got to be one, somehow we're the weird ones? Right? And if this is not acceptable in this scenario, why is it acceptable in eternity? Right? Continues on. They can't all be true and contradict each other at the same time. Further, it should not be considered arrogant and narrow-minded to say that only one of their answers is correct. It has nothing to do with that. Likewise, if the Bible declares that Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15, and the Quran teaches that he did not, Surah chapter 4, 157, 
Both books cannot be true on such a crucial teaching. Why? Because that's pure common sense logic. They both can't be true. It's impossible. It's illogical. Okay? In fact, you're being illogical to say, well, they're all the same. No, they're not the same. If we even get that far, uh, believe it or not, when people say all religions basically teach the same thing, they just told you two things. Number one, they don't know anything about the Scripture, biblical Christianity. Number two, they don't know anything about world religion. Because when you study world religions, they aren't the same. We might get to that in a little bit. Okay? He says this, one of them has to be wrong. Now, is that being arrogant, narrow-minded? No, it has to, because it's contradictory. That's common sense. That's logic, basic logic, okay? Further, if the writings of Joseph Smith teach there are many gods, and they do, they don't tell you that when they come knock at the door, all right? That's the secret knowledge. When you go on the little two-year uh, bike tour to get into the high priesthood, and if you do that, okay, and follow all the Mormon rules, then you get to the third celestial kingdom. And you get to become your own god, and your wife gets to become a goddess and forever populate planets. That's what they teach. They don't tell you that when they go nothing. Okay, so that's what. So if he taught that, and yet the Bible declares there is only one God, and it does, then both of these writings what cannot be true. Here's your only logical option. It has nothing to do with being narrow-minded or bigoted or intolerant or arrogant. If the Bible's true, Smith is wrong. If Smith is right, the Bible's wrong. You can't have it both ways. Right. One more. The belief in reincarnation is common in some religious uh, religions, such as Hinduism and Buddhism. But the Bible says, Hebrews 9.27, man is destined to die how many times? One time. And after that, you face judgment, which means you better get it right the one and only time you got it, which is now. Okay? Both beliefs cannot be true. Okay? One must be false. Okay? Uh, and that's not anything that has to do with being arrogant. It's just common sense. One more. Buddhism denies the existence of a personal God. Kind of sad. Christianity affirms, though, the existence of a personal God. Anybody glad that because of Jesus Christ, we're not only saved from eternal damnation and hell, but before we even get to heaven, he indwells us with his spirit. And we have peace with God. We have intimacy with him. We could speak with him, pray to him, hang out with him, enjoy him, learn about him, talk to him, share him with other people anywhere, anytime. And oh, by the way, who is he? Oh, he's just the creator of the universe. That's kind of cool. Buddha, no, not, nothing personal. You're on your own. Both can't be true. And it has nothing to do with being arrogant or bigoted or narrow-minded. And just as we close, I'm going to rip through some different religions because I wanted to once again dispel that myth because it's being propagated today even in the church, unfortunately, the apostate church, because they're sucking everybody into this global one-world religion, which is a sign we're living in the last days. All right, but you tell me, I'm just going to take a look and just going to hit some highlights of different religions, major religions on the planet, and you tell me <clears throat> if they all teach the same. Okay? How about the Baha'i faith? Right? The Baha'i faith, they say the soul is essentially good. Do you guys want to do the game show answer? <clears throat> the buzzer? <clears throat> no? What's the Bible say? No, the heart is deceitfully wicked, right? Surely, as David said, I was born in, uh, in sin, right? From the time of mother conceived, we're born with the sin nature. We're not born essentially good. Now, the scripture says, but don't you know they all teach the same thing, all religions? On? No, they don't. You don't know, that what you're saying is you don't understand Christianity, biblical Christianity, and you certainly don't understand Baha'i faith because that's not what they teach, right, amongst other things. And there's more to that, but I just got to get going. Buddhism, uh, the, the goal of life is to avoid uh, suffering and gain enlightenment uh, through the release of cycle of rebirth, i.e. reincarnation. As we just saw, does the Bible teach reincarnation? 
No, so how can you say that they're the same? And they all lead to the same path. They don't even have the same path. Diametrically opposed. Okay, the yin-yang, the Chinese religions that are going on there, they believe the purpose is a favorable life and a peaceful afterlife. And the way that you get that is it's through rituals by honoring your dead ancestors, which the Bible talks about is necromancy. So does the Bible say that's a good thing to try to talk and communicate with dead people? No. So how can you say that they're all the same? It, it's crazy. Chopper, you remember Deep, Deepak Chopra? Remember him? <clears throat> Who's a frequent guest apparently on Oprah Wan Kenobi, the New Age priestess on the planet, Oprah Winfrey, right? And here's what he says. He believes that God is a New Age thing. And it's also kind of like a mixture of Hinduism, Eastern mysticism, that God is everything. God is all, right? You are God. The pew is God. We're all God, right? Okay. Uh, that's what he believes. It's false teaching, obviously. Humans have limitless potential, he says. I'm going to open my heart to you tonight, Tom. I can disprove this in a very gut-wrenching way. He says that we have limitless potential. But did you guys know? I mean, for a while there, I got my hopes up with Spud Webb. But did you realize I'm never going to be an NBA basketball star? (laughs) Just don't have it. You can't. Limitless potential? There's limitations all over the place, right? It's crazy. There's just certain things you can't do, Right? How many of you guys wish you could just fly? That must be a guy thing, apparently. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Try as you might. If you jump off the roof here, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to laugh, but then we'll pray because we're Christians, right? <laughs> what? It ain't going to work. You get, there's limits to life, right? But it's oh, limitless potential. And, of course, you have to go through all these techniques and buy the books and go to the seminars and pay for it. And you, anyway, but anyway, that's good. But, uh, and they believe that health and success can be focused on uh, focusing on the whole self, right? And, oh, by the way, that's the same thing that's going on with the health and wealth, name it and claim it, grab it and blab it, Ken Copeland and you know, Creflo Dollar and all those uh, false teachers and Benny Hinn, those guys. It's, if you do the research, you know where they got that teaching? From the guys with the early movement, with the, uh, uh, the charismatic movement that spilled over, is the, if you look at the, some of the early core guys that launched that, guess where they came out of? Hinduism and New Age uh, teaching. And they just slapped Krishna. Instead of saying it's a mantra, Right? You repeat your mantra to create creative visualization. Right? They call it faith. But the techniques they use is Hinduism. The same thing. All they did was repackage it and try to Christianize it. A Christian science says there's no trinity and that matter and evil do not exist. Really? You tell that to the person who'd lost their family when somebody shot them. Oh, nope, that's not evil. Excuse me? Yep, but they all teach the same, right? That's the same thing as the Bible. No, I don't think so. Confucianism, they believe the purpose of one's life is to fulfill... One's uh, role in society, uh, which is honor and loyalty, just try to be a good person, you know, leave a legacy. Is that all life's all about? Is that what the Bible says? I don't think so. Uh, Hare Krishna, believe that Krishna is the supreme God, and that in order to get out of this age of what they call Kali, uh, you have to go through a reincarnation, you do chanting and dancing, evangelism, a vegetarianism, uh, things of that nature, and that's what the Bible says. You know, in order to get to heaven, you got to do all that stuff, right? Okay. As we saw before, Hare Krishna, all right? If you're the supreme, why is it that Jesus' name has been, why is it that the, the, of all these, quote, they would say, well, our deity is Krishna, you call him Jesus, or you call him, you know, confused. Why is it that Jesus' name is the only one that got turned into a cuss word? When somebody gets cut off on the road, right, why don't they say, Buddha, Buddha, Buddha. They smash their hammer, you know, mm, Hare Krishna. 
Why is it the only name on the planet that got turned into a cuss word? Is the name of Jesus Christ. You ever wonder that? Maybe it's because that's something that the enemy would love to do. The only name under which men might be saved has now become a cuss word. Hinduism, of course, many gods and goddesses. Is that what the Bible teaches? Of course not. Islam, they believe that the God uh, in, all are the, in the scripture and all are the same one. No, not at all. And that humans must submit to the will of Islam and uh, to gain a paradise. In fact, the only way that you're uh, ultimately, you don't even know if you're really going to get there anyway, according to them, but the only way you might get there maybe is if you uh, <clears throat> are involved in the jihad and you blow yourself up and kill yourself and get rid of some infidels, which are Christians and Jews, according to the writings, we're the infidels and they're out to kill us. Okay, read, read it if you want. Okay, and, uh, and then uh, that's the, your only, if you will, uh, opportunity to make sure you get it into uh, eternity, into a heavenly state, and then for men, that's when you get to satisfy your lust with as many virgins or 72 virgins or whatever the number was. Yep, that's what the Bible teaches. All religions teach the same thing, don't you? Haven't you guys heard? What do you mean? Arrogant? Are you being narrow-minded? Excuse me? That has nothing to do with that. Jehovah's Witnesses, obviously, it's a works-based systems, just like the Mormons. Of course, they deny the Trinity. Uh, Mormonism, of course, the same thing. It's a works-based system. Joseph Smith got, obviously, some serious problems going on there with his background. Uh, but they also, one of the many spurious things that they teach, of course, Jesus and Satan are spirit brothers. That's what the Bible teaches, excuse me. Scientology, that uh, they believe that uh, uh, we can gain uh, spiritual freedom by getting rid of what's called engrams. We need to clear our mind. In order to clear our mind, you have to pay big bucks. Hollywood's into this one. Uh, big bucks and uh, to become clear and free from all the limitations. Don't think so. Okay, uh, and on and on and on it goes. Universalism, uh, this one, I have to share this one. Uh, members might believe in one God or many gods or no God. Okay, and members seek inner and outer peace, insight, health, compassion, and strength. And some of their members uh, believe in afterlife, some do not, and very few believe in hell. Although I found this was interesting, but universalism indicates the belief that all will be saved. Well, if you don't believe in there's a hell, what are you saved from? Chicken, that's, you might have a point, but we'll continue on. And finally, Wicca, which is the new term for old-fashioned witchcraft. And that's a polytheistic gods and goddesses. Uh, their main tenet is, if it harms not, do what you will. Now, for those of you who don't understand Satanism, which I unfortunately had a roommate that turned me on to the Satanic Bible before I got saved, and the number one law of Satanism is, do what you will shall be the whole of the law. It's the same thing, Satanism. And also their rituals, they are obviously believe in uh, casting spells and dancing, singing, uh, quote, sharing cakes and wine and beer and very lewd behavior. And that's part of why it's very attractive, unfortunately, to a lot of teenagers and whatever, because it's basically do whatever you want, right? And they get sucked into that uh, as well. But again, what that shows you is it's clear. And I, obviously, I don't have time to go through all of the religions on the planet, but it's very clear the pattern that's set here. They all teach the same thing. And anybody that disagrees with that is just being arrogant and narrow-minded. No, none of them are the same as the other. Who in the world came up with this whacked-out idea that all religions teach the same thing and all religions lead the same place? They don't. Now, do you understand why I say if when somebody says that today, all they're really saying, translated, you don't know anything about biblical Christianity and you don't know anything about world religions, Right? Okay, but real quick, uh, the, uh, Jesus, okay? Let's compare uh, 
Buddha, Muhammad, and Confucius to Jesus. Because that's what they, they do. They say, okay, yeah, Jesus, all right, yeah. He was a good moral teacher, right? He was a good guy who came to help people, just like Buddha, Confucius, and Muhammad, right? Have you heard that one? Okay. Well, Jesus, of course, in the Scripture, con, uh, did all kinds of uh, miracles, right? Converted water to wine, healed the nobleman's son, catch a fish, heals a demoni- de- uh, demoniac, uh, heals Peter's mother-in-law. No, I won't do that one. Uh, cleanses the leper, heals a paralyzed man, healing of a, a mobile man, a withered hand, restores the centurion's servant, raises the widow's son to life, stills the storm, throws out more demons from two guys, raises the daughter of Jairus from the dead, cures the one with the issue of blood, restores m- two men blind with the sight, uh, walks upon the Lake Galilee, feeds more than 4,000, later 5,000. It was actually more than that, more like if because they didn't count the women and children, like 15,000, 20, and things of that nature. Uh, he heals a, a, a guy blind from birth, a deaf guy, raises Lazarus from the dead, all kinds of stuff going on and on. Okay, so did Buddha do miracles like that? No. How about Confucius? No. How about Muhammad? So how in the world could you say that Jesus is just like those other guys, Mo, Larry, and Curly? Don't think so. Not happening. Jesus, of course, also flat out said he was God. John chapter 20, we saw that with Doubting Thomas, right? Okay, and what did he see after Jesus said, hey, put your, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, put it in my side, stop doubting, believe. And he said, my Lord and my God. The scripture does not leave you, if you read the scripture, with the conclusion that Jesus was a great teacher. He either was a liar or a lunatic, neither one are consistent with the character that we see about him in the scripture, or he was indeed who he claimed to be, and the people around him claimed him to be. He was God. Is so let's put it to the test. If Jesus is supposed to be just like all those other guys, okay, is Buddha God? Confucius God? Muhammad God? Then how can you sit there and say and denigrate Jesus Christ and say that he's just like the other guys? Jesus also is the creator. Colossians chapter 1 talks about all things were created in him, in the earth, visible, invisible, powers, thrones, authorities. All things were created by him and for him. Did Buddha create the world? How about Confucius? How about Muhammad? Right? So then how in the world could you sit there and say that they're all basically the same? And I'll just give you one more. Of course, this is the big one. Uh, Jesus is the way to heaven. He's the only one who has taken our penalty, died on a cross, so we can be 100% forgiven. All religions on the planet teach either you are God, you can become God, or you have to work your way to God. Christianity is the only one that says, no, God so loved this world, that even though there was no way you could undo your sin and the penalty for it, he came and died in your place. And it's a gift, and all you have to do is receive it. No other religion on the planet does that. Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Did Buddha forgive us of our sins? Did Confucius go to the cross? How about Muhammad? No. Then how in the world could you sit there and say and denigrate Jesus Christ and sit there and say, oh, he's just like all those other guys. He's just a great teacher. That's not what the scripture says. And see, that's the problem. You you haven't even read the scriptures, have you? And again, even if you read it once, did you read it truly open-minded? Okay, and even if you just read it once, does that make you an expert on it? Right? The good news is, if you read it, you don't come to that conclusion. Buddhism can't save you. Islam can't save you. Mormonism can't save you. Catholicism can't save you. Humanism can't save you. Spiritism can't save you. New Age can't save you. But if you read the Bible, which has stood the test of time, and the critics and the attacks over and over and over again, it's unlike any other book on the whole planet. And every time somebody tries to smash it, it keeps rising to the top. If you're honest with that, then you come to the conclusion, hey, there's good news. Jesus Christ can save you and will save you unlike any other, quote, religion, if you even want to call it that, on the planet. 
That's what you get when you look at the Scripture. I don't believe that the Scripture came from God because I am checking in my brain at the door when I, as a new ager, tried all those different religions and nothing worked. But all I knew is that one day, when I specifically cried out the name of Jesus Christ from my heart and said, forgive me, bang, instantaneous result. And then even after that, <clears throat> doing the research, knowing those other writings, nothing stands the test like the scripture because it came from God. Amen? Lord willing, next week we're going to get into the hot button. Why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? Right? If God's a God of love, why does that go on? Does he need care? Well, we'll talk about that, Lord willing, next time. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief, I'm a blasphemer, I'm an adulterer, I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. 
The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judge has said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so, even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us, this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave, and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.